No. <clears throat> Ezekiel is a fascinating book. It's a book of prophecy, and most of you will have read it at some point, and you'll find it kind of hard to get your head around all that's happening in the book of Ezekiel. And really, you need the book of Revelation to go alongside the book of Ezekiel to help you uh, understand uh, what God is saying and what he's doing. But... <clears throat> What God is doing here in these chapters is laying out much of what we're dealing. 36, 37, 30, uh, and chapter 38 and 39, God lays out much of what's happening in our day and age. Uh, <laughs> and what's going to happen for certain. Now, uh, the timing of all this is not certain, but the reality of all this is certain. Uh, in chapter uh, 37, he gives Ezekiel the vision <clears throat> of dry bones. And Ezekiel looks at all the dry bones, and, and God says to him, Can these live, Ezekiel? And I love Ezekiel's answer. Uh, Ezekiel looks at the dry bones, and he says no in his own heart. But he looks at God, and he says he can do anything. And so he says, Thou knowest. Right? He didn't, didn't actually answer the question at all. He said, You know God. Uh, and so God go, gives him the vision of the dry bones coming back to life. And the dry bones are a resurrection of the nation of Israel. Uh, and um, then in chapter 38, he, he he speaks of a battle of Gog and Magog. And let's just read it, because this passage speaks a lot to our day and age and to all that's going to happen in our day and age, right? <clears throat> and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them, right? Now, it tells us later this is from the north, and really this works out to be Russia and a federation of powers that are up there. It's going to name some of the nations, but those names hark back to, to, to places in Russia. Meshach is Moscow. Right? <clears throat> but, and Gog is then the leader of this federation. Right? <clears throat> so the leader of this federation is Gog, and uh, Gog and Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, that will be Russia, and prophecy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them. That's interesting. God names, names by the way, Persia is Iran. Right? Uh, uh, they changed the name, but Persia is Iran, and the, uh, the, the Iranian people are still consider themselves to be Persians. They, be, they belong to the former Persian Empire. Right? Uh, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togrima and the North Quarters. Gomer is considered to be Germany. Uh, the house of Togrima of the North Quarters and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and that is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, <clears throat> which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Right? So they're going to come against Israel. Right? This is prophecy. The Bible's telling you this, this is what's going to happen, right? Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that at that time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And by the way, God is able to control the thoughts of men. Do you know that? Uh, thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, uh, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, uh, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. 
Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, uh, to uh, take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto God, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days. And I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Now, one of the themes that we find throughout the book of of Ezekiel is this, that they may know, that you may know. And God is using prophecy to declare his name and his power so the people will know. He tells us before it happens what's going to happen so that we may know it's him. So that we may know it's God. And let's continue on reading here. Thus saith the Lord, verse 17, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years, that I would bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass at that same time, when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in, in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things shall creeping things shall creep upon the earth, and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountain shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout my mountain, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him, and upon his bands, and upon the many people that are with him, an overflowing rain, and great hailstones, and fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself, and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, that they shall know that I am the Lord. And it goes on to tell us that a sixth of the people that come down are going to go back. God's going to decimate their army. Uh, <coughs> Israel are going to be burying these people uh, for seven months. They're going, they're going to be continually burying the people that die in this battle. But Israel's not going to fight in this battle. God is. Now, this is not Armageddon. Armageddon is the final battle when everybody comes against God. Uh, this is not. This is Gog and Magog. This could happen now. It may not happen until the tribulation. But this battle uh, <clears throat> is going to happen, and God is going to take Israel's side in the battle, and God is going to defeat all of Israel's enemies. Right? <clears throat> now, uh, what we're going to look this morning at is the signs of the times. What exactly is happening that we can see now? There are a lot of signs of the times that we could look at, but I want to just look at four this morning. Four signs of the times. <clears throat> Four signs that we're in the last of the last days. Four signs that we can expect God to move and do something any day that's going to change everything completely. Now, I don't say it to you so you'll be frightened. If you're his child, you don't need to be frightened. You don't need to be scared at all because his hand is upon you. There may be difficult days ahead, even for us. But you know what? If his hand is upon us, we're going to be okay. The reason we, we need to look at these things is we need to know what God is doing. He has told us what he's doing, and we need to understand it so that we can tell others what God is about to do and warn them. And really, if we take prophecy seriously, what happens is it helps us to live the Christian life uh, like it's the most important thing in the world. All right, that's a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to look to our...
Father, would you bless this morning now? Would you open our hearts to receive all that you have for us? Uh, Lord, let not the, <clears throat> the wicked one dull minds and hearts, Lord, but help us to focus upon you and help us to let you speak to us. And, oh, Lord, <clears throat> may your word grip us. And, Lord, <clears throat> give us a heart and a passion uh, to serve you and to live for you and to speak for you in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> First sign of the times is the regathering of Israel. Now, the regathering of Israel is prophesied many times in the Bible. Amos 9.14 uh, says this, And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. Uh, and I will plant them among their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Now, it's a key thought going through Scripture that Israel is going to come back to the land. Israel is going to uh, be, be in their own land again. Well, <clears throat> you know, for most of the, uh, <coughs> the last 2,000 years, they've not been in their land. They've been, <coughs> um, uh, they've been unwanted, uh, <laughs> hated um, <coughs> guests, if you like to call them that, in their land. But it's not been their land. You know, there's always been a remnant in Israel, but you know what? They had no control. They had no power. And um, the Arabs who controlled the land did not want them in it and made it very difficult for anybody from Israel to go uh, back to... Now, typically what happens when you do that with a nation, the nation is dispersed and the nation is gone and, and, and you never hear from them again. But the nation of Israel maintained its identity wherever it went. Incredibly so. In fact, miraculously so. No other nation has ever succeeded in maintaining their identity uh, when they were dispersed like that. Probably no other nation has been dispersed like the Jews have been dispersed. But they were scattered to the four corners of the earth. You know, you could find uh, <clears throat> Jewish people all over the land. Well, in 1939, there was about 400,000 Jews living in the Promised Land, and they were hated, they were not trusted, and they were not wanted. But they lived there anyway, and um, <clears throat> they, they, they really had no power. Now, 1939 was the beginning of the, F the Second World War, and in 1945, after the Second World War was finished, world sympathy was with the Jews. And the one good thing that came out of the concentration camps and about uh, all of that was that the world's heart turned towards the Jews, and um, <clears throat> the, 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 the world had a sympathetic view for them because of what Hitler had done to them. And so in those moments, Britain was in control in Palestine at the time. And in 1948, they handed over the land of Palestine uh, to the United Nations. And the UN divided the land into an Arab state and a Jewish state. Now, at this stage, there are 650,000 Jews uh, living in the land, right? <clears throat> so it's still nothing. 650, we have Ireland's a small nation. We have four and a half million people living down south. Uh, over, well over five, if you count the north as well. You know, we're, we're a small nation. 650,000 people. That's less people than live in Dublin. This is a small nation. Uh, really, this pe these people uh, <coughs> have nothing going for them. But as soon as they got their own land, Jews from all over the world began to come back into it. They, they, they began to migrate. And again, that doesn't happen. I mean, how many of you want to move from the place where you are uh, to a foreign place? Some of you have done it, but you've done it for good reason. And you know what? You, you don't want to live your life doing that. That's kind of something that you did once, and you know, you'd like to settle, and you'd like to get on with your life. Uh, because, you know, it takes time, energy, and money for you to reestablish yourself in a, in a different land. Well, the Jews wholesale uh, began to go back to Israel. So on May 14, 1948, the British withdrew from Israel. Israel declared itself an independent state. And before the day was over, Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Saudi Arabia again engaged in open warfare. 
they decided they were going to destroy them. Now, see the list of nations there? But they couldn't. They couldn't destroy this fledgling nation. And, and the reason they couldn't destroy this fledgling nation can't, can't be explained in, in terms of warfare or in terms of uh, the U.S. being an ally to, to Israel. The reason they couldn't destroy them was because God, was, God had put them there. And God was going to keep them there. In 1967, there was the, uh, the Six-Day War. And again, it was an effort to destroy Israel and get it out of it. <clears throat> and, um, but Israel won. And, and in fact, not only did Israel won, but they took vast territory, more territory during that war. And so what you've got is you've got this little nation that's planted right in the midst of all its enemies. It's humanly absolutely impossible. It's impossible, first of all, for them to come back. Once you disperse the people, they're gone. And to give you an analogy, if the American Indians were to go into the White House today and, uh, and knock on the door of the White House and tell Obama, listen, uh, we've changed our minds. We want our country back. You'll all have to leave. <clears throat> Now, it's totally impossible, you know what I mean? And we're laughing because that's just ridiculously impossible. But that's what happened in Israel. There's 7 million Jews now in Israel, and um, there's still a small uh, group of people, but you know what? They have taken their own land back. They live in the midst of nations far greater and stronger than them. They are hated by them. And you know what? They're still there. Now, Israel's not a spiritual nation at the moment. It's not a nation you know, that's, that, that's constantly looking to God. I mean, there are those that know that the hand of Jehovah uh, is upon the nation, but the, you know, for the most part, it's a secular nation. They don't even understand that they're fulfilling prophecy. They don't even understand that this is God's plan, that this is what God is doing. But what God has done, and really, you know, it's in modern times. Right, so most of us went around in 1948, but you know the reality is it's 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 very recent history that this nation has just kind of sprouted up. Now, not only did the nation sprout up, but this nation sprouted up and became a thriving nation. Now, the land of Palestine is not a great land, you know. Uh, it really, the, part of the reason why they got it was because who wants it? You know, it's a desert land. There's not much going on in it. It's got history to it, all right. But you know, uh, who wants it? Well, you know what they did. They've made it blossom. The Bible says they would. They've made it blossom. Before I ever was a believer, I remember <clears throat> in the markets, you would go down to the market, and it was amazing to me at certain times of the year how much produce one little country called Israel sent to Ireland. You know, <clears throat> but there, was, there were potatoes coming from Israel, there were carrots coming from Israel, there were celery coming from Israel. All, all kind of produce was, was being exported from this little tiny place. What they did was they irrigated it and they made it work. But you know what? God's smile was upon them. And the land blossomed. Right? And they, they, they've established themselves and they are there and <clears throat> n- nobody's moving them. Nobody's going to get them out of Now, <clears throat> you will constantly hear the rhetoric from Islam that they're going to get rid of the, rid of the Zionist plague. They're going, to, they're going to remove them from the land. They have not accepted it to this day. They're still not happy. Uh, Iran, uh, many of those nations would gladly just <clears throat> annihilate Israel. It's, it's a problem for them. It's, it's just a, a constant sore spot. But you know what they can't? Because God said he was going to bring them back to their land and nobody was going to shift them again. And so we can look at all that happens in Israel. And by the way, Israel doesn't have this confidence. Israel doesn't understand what God has said he's going to do. And they don't have the comfort of knowing that God is going to keep them there. 
Israel is, a, is an embattled nation, and they're fighting for their lives. Now, they fight well, but they're fighting for their lives. But they are constantly thinking, you know what, they're going to be annihilated. Israel has a plan, and they call it the Samson plan. Remember when Samson died? Samson killed more Philistines in his death than he had done uh, in his life. Well, Israel's plan is this, that if they are going to be annihilated at any stage, they're not going to go down on their own. They have nuclear arms, and they're going, they're going to fire them at the people all around them, and um, they're going to take them with them. It's a deterrent for them to have. But Israel, you know, they, they, they think maybe one day we're going to have to use it. They're never going to have to use it. Because God has put them in that place, and God is going to keep them and take care of them. Now, <clears throat> this vast federation that we've looked at <clears throat> is going to come against them, but God's going to take care of them, because God has put them back in their land. And that's real history. You're looking at things God said would happen, and it's happening. You know, we're seeing those things happen around us. God's actually brought Israel back to the land. Israel is the epicenter of the world. Somebody called it the belly button of the world. Everything that happens in prophecy is centered on and focused on Israel. By the way, your theology on this one is really key to you. If you get a theology that gets messed up, where the church becomes the replacement for Israel, all, this, all the prophecy gets messed up for you. See, the church is not a replacement for Israel. The church is an apprentice. It's something God put in to make Israel jealous, is what he tells us. But he's not done with Israel. Israel is still his people. Israel is still the apple of his eye. And he's going to, when he's done with the church, he's going to go back to dealing with Israel. And he's going to use Israel uh, <clears throat> to rule the world. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to rule for a thousand years from Jerusalem. Those will be great days. Now, if you're a believer, you'll be here with him. Uh, but those are going to be great days when he rules the world. But he's going to rule the world uh, from, from Jerusalem. He's not done with, with Israel. It's not over. But if you get your theology messed up and get, your, get a different kind of theology going in your head that says the church is a replacement for Israel, you get messed up. None of this works out. And it's, and it's a, you, know, you have to start spiritualizing stuff. But when you look at it, no, no, no. Israel is one entity and the church is one entity. The two don't mix. Like Paul tells us, you know, <clears throat> that the, the church was given the gospel to make the Jews jealous. And when he's done with us, he's going to go back to dealing with Israel. And he's going to work out his plan that he, that he promised Israel. <clears throat> right? So the first sign is that Israel is back in the land. The second sign, though, is this. Right? <clears throat> the rise of Gog and Magog. Uh, let's read these verses again. Um, Ezekiel 38, verse 2. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, uh, the land of Magog, and the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them. Uh, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. Now, by the way, the hooks he's putting in the, into their jaws here now are not to take them away from Israel. That's to bring them forth into the battle. God's in charge of everything. He's in charge of even the starting of the battles. But right, He's going to put hooks in there and bring them forth. And all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Right? <clears throat> Now, um, Gog, and, Gog and Magog are the Russian leader and the, the Russian Empire. Now, 15 years ago, if I was preaching this message, message I would have had a real hard time working this out. Right? Because it looked like Russia had been a major power for so long, and now its power was gone, its power was broken, uh, there was no strong leadership, and the, the, the empire was being divided up, and it was history. 
so to speak. And really, it presented a, uh, presented a problem uh, for Bible scholars in those days, because you know what? Russia was a big part of it, and now it's not. And what, what do we do with it? We must have gotten it wrong. By the way, <clears throat> we don't read the Bible by circumstances, right? We read the Bible, and then we interpret circumstances according to the Bible. But the Bible is the truth. But what's happened today is a completely different thing. <clears throat> Russia's back as a world power, and um, it's back as a major player on, uh, in the world. Putin has put it back on the map, and um, if, if you were to look around the world today for a strong leader who's actually leading, you probably won't find anyone stronger than Putin uh, and with more leadership than Putin has. I mean, you might say this, that the West is suffering from a severe lack of leadership. And by that I mean people who are willing to actually say, here's what I believe, here's what we're doing, and they move forward with it. Uh, we have our democracy, and our democracy does have a fatal flaw in that politicians spend their time looking over their shoulders to the electorate and looking forward to the next election. So they don't make decisions based upon what they think is best. They make decisions based upon um, <clears throat> what's going to get me elected the next time around. And so they're constantly doing that. So there is a flaw. Now, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go for dictatorship because you couldn't trust the dictator. But the reality is it's flawed. Democracy is flawed as well, okay? Uh, <clears throat> But Putin has put Russia back on the map, and um, he came from being an out-of-work spy in the early late 80s and early, early 90s uh, to being now he's effectively the Tsar of Russia. He runs it. He runs the whole show, and he doesn't ask anybody's buy or leave. Uh, he cleverly manipulates the, um, <clears throat> uh, the media, and he's in charge, very much in charge. And, you know, you've seen some of the statements he's made. You've seen them about, uh, <clears throat> about Ukraine and so on. Listen, he's not backing down for anybody. Now, <clears throat> here's what we're not aware of, though. <clears throat> His people love him. They see him as a kind of a savior who's taken them from the doldrums and put them back in the place where, listen, they are in charge again. I'm talking to my brother-in-law, Frank. My brother-in-law, Frank, he's going to be here tonight, by the way. Uh, but my brother-in-law, Frank, uh, <coughs> w w we talked about Putin, and he said, the people in Armenia love him. Armenia is an ex-Soviet uh, <coughs> country, and um, they think Putin's terrific. They think he's a great leader. They think, listen, he's taking charge of the whole situation, and he's not afraid of the West, and he's, and he's leading. Now, you see, we've we got to understand that, that you know, we may look at Putin you know, like he's, 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 he's causing a whole lot of trouble in the Ukraine, and he's doing his own thing, but there's a whole different side to the story in the way his people see him. He's reclaiming the, the rightful Russian empire. He's putting it back together again. Now, the, the West has thrown sanctions at him, and um, that's obviously hurting the Russian people. But you know what? Typically, that kind of stuff doesn't work in those situations. Hitler rose to power in Germany in a time when they were crippled with the debt they were paying for the First World War. And German, the German people felt very hard done by and they got a savior. Hitler, who was a maniac... Uh, he led them, but he showed them, you know what? <clears throat> Listen, we, we can be a strong nation again. He gave them pride in themselves again and led them. You know, Putin is doing the same thing. I'm not comparing him to Hitler, uh, but he's doing the same thing uh, in Russia right now. And what you have is you have a rising power. You know, <clears throat> he, he grew up in an, age, in an age where Russia was a major military power, and he wants it to be that same military power again. And he has the guts to do it. He has the guts to actually make it happen. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, he, has, he has a close alliance with Persia, which never was true in Russian history. But you know, you, you hear about Iran. Iran is, building, uh, is making a nuclear bomb, and they're, they're building nuclear reactors. Russia are building the nuclear reactors in Iran that they're, <clears throat> they're making the uranium they need to, uh, to actually make the bomb from. 
there's a close alliance there uh, between Russia and Iran. Russia defends Iran against the sanctions the West would put on them. Uh, <clears throat> Russia stands up for them. That there's a close alliance there. Now see what we read in our text that Persia is one of the nations that are going to go with them. But <clears throat> that, that wasn't so for most of the history of the Russian Empire. And yet it is so today. Uh, <clears throat> Now, here's something else that comes into the picture. Israel uh, was left without gas and oil uh, for most of its time. In fact, uh, it used to be said that Moses spent 40 years wandering in the desert trying to find a country in, in the Middle East that had no oil, and he finally found it. And it was the only nation uh, in the whole area that had no oil. And it was kind of an anomaly. There's no oil in Israel. I mean, what, what have they got? That <clears throat> and what, what it made Israel do was it made them develop an economy. Right? And their economy was not based upon oil. But you know what they've done? They've discovered oil. They've discovered oil and gas, and not just a little. They've discovered vast amounts. In fact, they are saying that Israel, with the quantity of gas and oil it's found, is going to be <coughs> uh, an energy giant. Little Israel. It's going to be, a, it's going to be an energy giant. I mean, uh, there's vast wealth uh, for these people now. Now, here's the thing. <coughs> If we were to say 20 years ago that Russia was going to go against Israel because they were, going to <clears throat> they were going to go against Israel, we would have said, why? They don't hate them. All their neighbors hate them, but Russia isn't, particular, isn't interested. Uh, what are they going to take? Well, they, are they going to take a spoil in the, in the carrots and the potatoes and the, and, uh, and, and the celery down there? Well, what are they going to actually take? Uh, from? Well, you know what? There's a reason for going down now. There is a reason for going down now. And add to this, too, that... <clears throat> You know, Israel is a small place right now. It's not all the land that Israel once had. And it's definitely not all the land that Israel was promised. They're going to get all that land sooner or later. It's a pretty small uh, place that, that, that they have, <clears throat> right? But because of that, the rights to the oil and the gas are being disputed. You know, the nations around them are saying, it's not yours, it's ours. Now, listen, most of the nations around Israel will go to war with them just because they hate them. It's a demonic hatred. They hate them. They absolutely hate them. Right? But you know what? When you come to the place where not only do they hate them, but they're disputing the rights to the oil, you have the powder keg is set with the match close to it. Ready for the... <clears throat> when we think of a, a war against Israel 20 years ago, <clears throat> it would have been hard uh, to show, a power, show any reason why everybody would go to war against Israel. I mean, before Israel were back in the land, there would have been absolutely no reason. But you know what, today? It's very likely. And you listen on the news, and you hear about Iran's nuclear <coughs> intentions, and Iran have made no bones about the fact that if they had a nuclear bomb, they would use it to annihilate Israel. And Israel are listening to it. And Israel are saying, don't let them get a nuclear bomb. Israel is telling the West, listen, don't listen to them. Don't. And by the way, you often hear about Iran's nuclear efforts that there's been an explosion and things have been set back. That's, that's not an accident. Israel's doing that to slow the whole process down. Uh, <clears throat> but you know what? Israel is saying if they, if they get a nuclear bomb, they will throw it at us and we're not going to let it. So what you've got is you've got people in Israel with their finger on the, on the trigger, ready to fire something at Iran uh, in, in the, if it gets to the place where they think Iran are going to actually send a nuclear bomb. Now, here's the deal with a nuclear attack. A nuclear attack really can't be contained. That once you start firing nuclear bombs and allies start getting involved in it, real quick... The whole thing just, just, just comes unglued, comes apart. Now, I don't tell you that to make you afraid. 
say that to you, listen, you could wake up in the morning and hear this battle was going on. It's that close. Now, it may not happen through the tribulation, till during the tribulation, but you could wake up in the morning and hear that this battle was actually going on, uh, that, a, that an army had, had amassed and was heading towards Israel. Uh, things happen that quickly. <clears throat> Um, by the way, another thing that's happening in Russia that you need to watch, uh, <clears throat> Russia is hurting financially now. First of all, sanctions were put, again, uh, put on them, and then the price of oil dropped. It's dropped from 100, over $100 a barrel to f less than $50 a barrel today. Now, Russia's economy uh, is built upon $117 a barrel for oil. So that means they're hurting. Now, you know, you would hope what that will do is that will just make it that they can't, they can't actually pursue war. But that's not historically what happens. What happens is people find money for the things they want to do. And I wouldn't think Putin's going to be uh, <coughs> railroaded by this. If his people are hurting and he's the savior, he's going to have to do something uh, to make them feel like he's doing it. You know, we live in a powder cake situation in our world. But God said we would. We live in a situation that any day the whole thing uh, could explode. Third sign of the time is this. Right? We have the structure of a global government. Now, what that means is that at any day, we could see a global government with one leader set up. Right? <clears throat> Revelation 13, verse 7 says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Right now, we've never been in a place where you could actually have a world leader that ran the whole thing. I suppose it wasn't really possible uh, in times past. You know, the communications, the ability to actually make it all happen uh, just wasn't there. You couldn't have somebody that would run the whole thing. Uh, but you know what? The communications are there now. But apart from the communications being there, the reason is rapidly getting there. You see... <clears throat> We're dealing with some strange circumstances in our, in our world right now. Uh, global warming is a huge problem. Now, the rights or the wrongs are what we can do about it are, are a separate issue. But global warming uh, is getting to be a huge problem for people. People are really thinking about this global warming. Now, you know, <laughs> we've got global warming and changing weather, weather patterns and all kinds of prophecies of doom uh, that, are, that we're looking at as far as our world is concerned. And we've got nations that bicker and fight and can't agree on what they're going to do and who's going to give what. Somebody needs to take charge of the situation. That, that, that's what the people are thinking. Somebody needs to take charge of this thing and deal with this thing. Uh, I mean, we have Islamic radicalism. And Islamic radicalism is not going to go away. We saw Paris. We saw Belgium this week. You know, um, And we're going to see more of that. It's not going to go away. Because this thing is not a thing where, the, where you finally kind of can say, okay, this is your agenda. This is what you want. Okay, we'll give you all the things that are on your agenda. Now will you stop killing everybody? The agenda is chaos. The agenda is terrorism. That's, that's the strangest thing. The, their agenda is terrorism. Their, their agenda is to just put the world uh, into chaos, and they're going to keep doing it. And really, you know, th 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 there's, there's no way to stop it. There's no way for the, for the world to actually sit down and kind of work this out. I mean, we, we hear all the rhetoric and so on. You know, we're going to put an end to it. We're going to fight against it and all the rest of it. How? How well did England do at putting, putting, a, putting an end to guerrilla warfare up the north? They didn't until the guys decided, you know what, we're not going to fight anymore. They, they couldn't stop. You can't stop this kind of a warfare. You don't know who they are. You know, and by the way, Islam, Islam as a religion is wrong. But all Muslims are not radical. But the problem for us is that we're getting to feeling like, you know what, if somebody's a Muslim, we can't trust them. 
And there's a tension there coming in, in the different nations around the world. Now, that's, that, that, that's going to react, it's going to result in a backlash. You're seeing it in Germany right now. There's going to be a backlash. But all Muslims are not radical. Most of the Muslims that you know of are, are just people that wake up in the morning, they've got to get the kids to school, they've got to uh, go about their job, they've got to put bread on the table. Most of them are just like that. They just have a different religion. But there's about 7% of them, which is huge. It's about 90 million people, they say, that are radical. And they're absolutely fearless. They don't mind giving their lives because their religion tells them that if they give their lives, uh, they become martyrs for the faith. And uh, they get, that that's the best way for a Muslim to die. There is no better way for a Muslim to die. So what you've got is you've got a people whose religion is feeding into this hatred and um, <clears throat> uh, there's just no end to it. You can't stop it. You know what? We need someone to take charge and stop it, don't we? We need someone to step in, take world control and stop it. That's what people are going to end up thinking when it gets bad enough. <clears throat> We're dealing with financial crisis. Now, uh, <clears throat> what we have is we have a global financial system now. You know, if, if the banks in America fail, you know what, the banks in Ireland fail tomorrow, and the banks in Europe fail, and this kind of the domino effect just goes through the whole system. And it goes all around the world. And uh, you have the IMF, that's supposed to be a body that looks after the whole world finances. But you know what? In order to keep the finances of the world in check and keep it right, it'd be great to have a, a world leader. Somebody who would step in and who would do it. Uh, then we have nations in turmoil. You know, we have nations that are just kind of great within themselves. They can't actually take charge of their own uh, stuff. We have uh, the, the, the Arab Spring and all the revolutions that happened has resulted in chaos in those nations. And by the way, part of the problem for us is the chaos in those nations is that what that does is that breeds radical Islam. And they don't stay in their own nations. They, 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 they go all over the world, spreading chaos. So you know what? We're, <clears throat> the world is ripe for a leader who can pull it all together and, <clears throat> uh, and really lead. The world is ripe for a person who can actually... We're being set up for the Antichrist who's going to come in with the promise, I will take care of it. I will look after it. And everybody's going to say, finally, somebody's going to do the business. And by the way, you may have the rapture of the church <clears throat> leading into his rise to power too. You may have the church being taken out of it and um, <clears throat> that, that, that will definitely create chaos in the world and, uh, and put, a, put, a, put the world in a place where they want leadership. So you've got all these things that are bringing us rapidly to the place where the world is looking for a leader that can actually take over, that can run the show. And <clears throat> you hear about the One World Alliance. You hear about a New World Order. You, listen, all of those things are, are leading to a place where you've got a One World Leader. Because it just makes sense. Somebody who controls the whole thing. Somebody who, and you know what? The person who controls the whole thing is going to stand against God. That, <clears throat> that's, that's what he's going to do. One of the most fascinating things for me in the tribulation is this, right? And I keep saying this, and yet they repented not. And yet they repented not. You know, they stood against God. They stood against God. They did not repent. They won't repent. They will, they will continue to fight against God. But what you've got is a world that is rapidly heading towards a place where a one-world leader is going to step in. By the way, the Battle of Gog and Magog is going to turn Israel around. It's going to make Israel, uh, turn Israel to the place where they, where they begin to seek God again. It's going, to, it's going to have that effect, right? And then, sign number four, the gospel is to be preached in all all over the world. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 24, 14, And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Right, let me tell you a little bit about the gospel and where it's gone <clears throat> recently. Since 1959, uh, <coughs> China has gone from 1 million believers to 100 million believers. 
Somebody told me recently uh, that, that, that they reckoned that there were more believers in China than there were communists. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Now, we live in Little Ireland and we don't see any of these things. And we, but you know what? People who have been out there will tell you there's a huge Christian presence. And Ireland, uh, uh, China's a changing country, right? Latin America has gone from 250,000 believers to 60 million. They say in South America, there are now more people in evangelical churches on a Sunday morning than there are at Mass. It's just changed completely. Uh, there are more believers in Asia and North, than North America. Seven of the largest churches in the world are in Seoul, South Korea. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Seven of the largest churches in the world are in South Korea. Uh, Russia has had the gospel preached freely for the last 20 years. You know, before the wall came down, before all that, that stuff happened, you know, it was impossible to get the gospel. It was hard to get the gospel in, into Russia, and the churches were marked and so on. But you know what? Since then, the gospel has gone freely into Russia. Russia's heard the gospel. A uh, huge impact. <clears throat> The same is true for Egypt and Iran. You know, we look at Iran. Iran is one of the most repressive regimes uh, in the world. Uh, it is one of the, the hardest places to be a believer in the world. But you know what? Christianity is growing in leaps and bounds in it. They, 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 there are radio um, <coughs> ministries going into it. There are uh, people preaching the gospel undercover. But you know what? It's growing in leaps and bounds. And what you've got is you've got a gospel that's traveling the world uh, at a rate much greater than we can imagine. I mean, Frank and Edel will be here tonight. And, uh, he will tell us about the, the Iranian believers, and there are lots of them. So what we've got is we've got the gospel going out <coughs> all over the world. Now, there, there, there are many more signs, and we could tease through them all and go through them all, and we could, we could try and piece them all together. But, you know, those are the four clearest to me. <coughs> and here, here, here's what we need to be thinking. First of all, there's no fear in this. He's coming back for me. Right? He's coming back for me. I'm okay. I'm safe. He is coming back for me. Right? That's the thought that needs to be... Listen, the, the day you look the Lord Jesus Christ in the eye is going to be a day when you melt with joy. And that's, what's, that's what we're looking. That's where we're going. There may be some hard times in between, but he's coming back for you. Now, <clears throat> here's what I would suggest to you. If you're not his, get saved. Yet say, why wait until everything goes pear-shaped? And say, well then, when I see these things happening, I'll get saved. No, get saved now. You know, the Bible tells us that the believers are going to be plucked out of the world. They're going to be raptured, taken to be with the Lord. You won't be left in the world when that happens. You won't be left to face it. Those are going to be hard days. He that now letteth will let until he be taken away. That's when with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will be taken away. I don't think it'll be impossible to get saved during the tribulation, but I think it's going to be much harder than it is to get saved today. If you're not saved, get saved today. Trust Christ as your Savior today. <clears throat> Secondly, listen, live for Him. You know, the Bible tells us that all this stuff's going to be burned up. You know, our beautiful church one day is all going to get burned up. My house, my car, everything's going to be burned up. All of it is going to be burned up. Don't live for it. Listen, do right. Do what God would have you to do as far as your life is concerned. But don't live for it. This is not life. This is not the main course. This is not even the entree. This is just the beginning of it all. Don't live for this. All of it's going to change. All of it's going to change rapidly. And you're going to be in His presence. Live for Him. The Bible gives you this great promise that if you live for Him today, He'll take care of you. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that's talking about physical provision and clothing. Live for him today. He'll take care of you in the here and now, and you'll be living for eternity, living for the future. Listen, don't miss it. <clears throat> and the other thing is this. Tell others while there's time. Listen, you know what? <clears throat> really, if we knew today was the last day, you know, we got a phone call and somebody said, you know what, <clears throat> Jesus is going to wrap it all up tonight at midnight. Yeah, the only thing that would really be important to us is, do other people know? And all those people you'd be putting on the long finger to witness to, you'd be witnessing to them this afternoon. You probably wouldn't get your, your, your Baptist nap this afternoon. You probably wouldn't even get your dinner. You'd get busy telling people. Now, you know what happens? When it goes long, we come to the place where we think, ah, we've got time. And we think we have time, but we don't tell them now. Make a phone call this afternoon. Talk to somebody about the gospel. Make it your business this week to witness to people, to tell them. Because these things are going to happen. God said they're going to happen. I can't tell you when they're going to happen. But they're definitely going to happen. And I can tell you this. Looking at the signs of the times, and Jesus told us we're supposed to do that, it's very close. We need to be about his business. First of all, if you're not saved, get saved. Secondly, give your life to him. Live for him. Not, not for this world. It's going. It's passing. It's, you're just passing through. And thirdly, be a witness. Speak to others for him. Let's stand for prayer. <laughs> Father in heaven, would you <clears throat> bless us this morning as we come to you, Lord. We're looking at truths that are grim as far as the world is concerned. But, oh, Lord, what a joy and what a glory it is uh, to think of that day when <clears throat> our faith shall be real and we'll look into your face. Now, Lord, would you bless us? Would you help us to live with that reality in mind? And, Lord, for those that do not know you as Savior today, Lord, would you just bless by speaking to those hearts, showing them, Lord, Lord, we can't do it and words won't do it. Lord, it's your job to do it. Oh, Lord, would you help us to be witnesses? But, Lord, would you do uh, that work of, of, of quickening and of letting them see and of conviction? Now, Lord, I pray you'd bless, Lord, that we would not <clears throat> end this day unchanged, but that, Lord, you would work in our hearts and change us. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Let me ask you just one question this morning. You're here this morning and you're not saved, and you'd like someone to take the Bible and show you how to get saved. Just lift your hand quietly and put it down. We'll get someone to talk to you. You're here and you're not saved, but you'd like someone to take the Bible and show you how to get saved. Would you lift your hand so I can see it and just put it down again? Anybody at all this morning? Well, I trust that you are saved, but if you're not, don't let this day go before you get it sorted. Father, thank you. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen.